your host for Lacrosse Talk PM, Rick Solom. All right, welcome to a snowy Tuesday of Lacrosse Talk PM. I'm Rick Solom. I'm just reading about the World Cup right now for the first time ever. Dr. Aaron Engel, the lacrosse school superintendent, is on with me as well. Uh, Engel, how are you doing? Doing well. Thank you for having me. Do you do you did you get navigate home okay? Because it's uh, the, the the crappy weather is out there. Yeah, it's a little slippery out. Not too bad if you drive the right speed. So when I was driving in and having you on, I was thinking like, who calls for a snow day? Is it when the superintendent slips right out the side of the school? He's like, damn it, we shouldn't be here. Or uh, is it a is it a whole team of people that go over things? a team of folks we've got our transportation manager at school we've got the bus company uh, and then we're watching the weather getting updates from noaa and um you know if it's a day of call i'm up at 3 three thirty in the morning talking to other superintendents and driving back roads and then um do we have i make this joker once in a while because through the pandemic obviously we we could remote learn but do we is our snow days a, a thing of the past, or do we still officially have them? And if, it, well, I'll just let you answer that part, right? Do we still officially have snow days? We still officially have snow days in lacrosse. All right. And beyond that, because kids can kind of remote work, work on the computer, do they have assignments that they have to do on the snow day, or is it completely disassociate from school for the day? Um, we haven't extended school to home for our snow days and don't have plans right now to do so. I know some school districts have done that, but you've got to know in advance and have your devices at home and homework at home. And, you know, a lot of times there's not that time to prepare for that. So you create um, kind of haves and have-nots when that happens, and you end up making up all that time at school anyway. So um, you know, there's a certain freedom to snow days, and uh, we'll be able to make up that time later. Yeah, it would be weird to take it away from from kids. I think uh, we all have the nostalgia of snow days that we love, right? Yeah, I think uh, for kids, snow days are often great. But, you know, for parents and for some kids, snow days aren't great. You know, maybe they don't get lunch or breakfast. Uh, Maybe their home environment isn't as safe as they want it to be. Or a parent's got to take off of work, figure out child care. So we're trying to balance all those things. Only call off school when it's necessary. But... um, you know, not add to the burdens of folks at home. <clears throat> All right. Well, you brought up school lunch, and um, and we'll talk about the referendum here in a minute. Well, a couple minutes actually. I just want to I want to get through some of this uh, the littler stuff. Um, we we've talked about this in the past over the summer. The uh, the federal whatever I don't even know what you call it, the federal rule that that kind of paid for school breakfast and lunch through the pandemic ended, and Congress never renewed that. Are you seeing effects of that now? And is school lunch debt accumulating in the Lacrosse School District? Yeah, we're seeing a, a couple different impacts from that. Uh, it, it was awesome when the federal government was able to, to cover those costs for our students. We saw a drastic increase in the number of students that were eating breakfast and lunch, and it made a difference in students' ability to, to pay attention in school, to, to have the nutrition that they needed. And now, unfortunately, you know, families are back to having to make difficult choices between uh, whether or not to, to look at school lunch or try and find some other way to, to get uh, students the, the food and nutrition they need. And, you know, for some families that are right on that margin of, you know, being a, able to afford free lunch, or, you know, it does create some real problems. And we are seeing some balances start to accrue again. Yeah, I th- my my take on a lot of stuff when we we pass stuff like this is when when it comes to 
some of the benefits we, we could cut like you, you do right now, you cut it at a certain pay scale, right? If somebody makes a hundred thousand dollars a year, then they don't qualify for school lunch or whatever. But when it comes to school lunch, I should have used a different example. When it comes to school breakfast and lunch, everybody's kind of in the same boat. They can everyone. Some people can afford it. Some people can't. But but a lot of times nobody has the time because everybody's working. So nobody has the time to make breakfast and lunch. So whether you can afford it or not, sending your kid to school to get breakfast is is a good thing. And uh, it kind of solves two problems, right? The kid, the the parents can get to work earlier. They can start their day a little earlier, and the kids are getting a good a good meal. Yeah, one less thing that parents have to worry about. We know that it's a high-quality meal that meets, you know, federal regulations. Um, you know, but right now we're back to kind of the way things were and, and trying to work with families as best we can and try and encourage as many students as possible to get that uh, healthy breakfast and lunch every day. Yeah, we're back to the way things were where uh, the, the La Crosse School District will accumulate school lunch debt that parents can't pay off, and then we need a group called the Beer by Bike Brigade to come pay it off for us, a bunch of beer-drinking bike riders in the middle of winter to pay off school lunch debt. It's great. It's, how, it's a great yeah, way. To- we're thankful to have them. They are just a great organization that looks out for our community in all sorts of ways, and they've been a phenomenal help for our families over the years. 608-785-7914 is the talk and text line. Lacrosse School Superintendent Dr. Aaron Engel is going to spend some time with us. All right, so Engel, you're a 19-year National Guard member, um, and you told me before the show you're serving as a battalion commander at Fort McCoy right now. What does that entail? Yeah, that's right. It's actually a unique merging of my military and uh, education careers. I oversee uh, a unit that does training for soldiers across the United States. So we teach officer candidate school, warrant officer candidate school, unit movement officer course, um, EMT retraining for our medics. Uh, just an amazing opportunity at Fort McCoy to be involved in educating soldiers across the nation. How, 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 where do you find time to do that? That sounds like a lot of time, a lot of, uh, uh, you know, a, a big responsibility. Yeah, it's uh, extra time every day. I get to I wake up early and check my email. I make phone calls at night to check in on soldiers. And then, you know, once a month I've got drill on the weekend for a couple of days. And then um, I also have annual training every year. Uh, this last year I got to go out to uh, Fort Lewis, Washington, to visit some soldiers going through training out there. Uh, I got to get up to northern Minnesota to visit soldiers there and down to Indiana as well. So. It's a really rewarding job. It's worth the time uh, away, and it really um, something I feel proud about and really have uh, enjoyed investing in our community, investing in soldiers, and, and, and the future of our, our military. All right, I'm going to try to make a connection here, and you just tell me if there's nothing to it. But you, you mentioned World Cup soccer to me before the show. Uh, the U.S. beat Iran one to nothing today. Uh, it was a pretty pretty amazing goal. Um. So the the World Cup is going on in Qatar. It's like the biggest sporting event in the world called the World Cup. But soccer is like the biggest sport in the world, even though it's not great in the U.S. Unless the U.S. wins, and that's what they did. Um, as a military, with your military background, what what kind of tensions are there? You know, even even with the U.S. and Iran, I know there's there's tensions even there. But having the World Cup in Qatar, do you think about that stuff? Is that stuff uh, even maybe even talk about it at former court? Uh, yeah, there's uh, certainly an intersection between the military, you know, the World Cup and geopolitical, uh, you know, uh, things that are going on. You know, there's been some hostility with Iran over the years, and so it adds uh, an extra layer of interest 
uh, that World Cup match. Uh, Qatar has a, a, a long-standing military base that the United States has invested in, and a strong partnership with Qatar. You know, but there's also some interesting politics in Qatar that don't match up with uh, American ideals and values. So it, it's complex. It's interesting, and uh, the World Cup adds another layer of competition to it, where we're rooting for our our team, but also in the background, there's all that other stuff going on. Yeah, it's it's always yeah, it's kind of interesting. Something we don't often think about because we there's not like these world games all the time. Anyway, Engel's uh, going to spend the hour with us. If you have questions, shoot me a text, 608-785-7914. Uh, coming up, we'll obviously talk about where we go from here with the school referendum not passing in the election a couple weeks ago. Uh, I also want to talk about uh, how the state is going to you know, just be involved in that process when we come back. All right, welcome back to Lacrosse Talk PM, 608 608- 785-7914, Dr. Aaron Engel, lacrosse school superintendent, is joining us for this hour. Uh, we were talking about school lunch debt and and just getting free lunch and, and whatnot in, in the school district. I did get a text here, Engel, that said, if the government mandates you be in school, they should feed you. Criminals in prison get free food, so I think kids should too. It's a it's a weird correlation to make. Uh, I think I think uh, prisoners are, are, you know, they don't get to get out and go home for the day, so there's a little bit different, but... Uh, it's kind of funny to think of it that way. Yeah, I, I think the the benefits to kids are, are clear. We saw it during the the pandemic. Uh, you know, if there's some po- policy at the federal level that could return to what we had, I, I certainly would appreciate it. I, I think families would too. Um, how how do you, as a superintendent, get? You know, we we have a congressman here who just got elected. He's new. Have you talked to him? Do you send him an email? Do you do you gather maybe all the area districts and and send a group? email and be like hey this is something we should re you know pass again yeah every time uh, we've got new folks elected to office i reach out congratulate them on their election uh, you know make sure to let them know that we're happy to, to talk anytime if they want to come visit our schools and, and be a part of events you know we want them to have opportunities there too and definitely on, on key legislation that's being proposed you know we reach out and send our thoughts on how it would impact our schools so they've got good stories to take with them when they go to, to Congress or the legislature. Uh, and uh, we've gotten great responses from our, our, our local representatives at, at all levels. Uh, you know, as, as a group of superintendents in western Wisconsin, we invite them to meet with us every year, and, and oftentimes they're available and able to do so. And so we've had great interactions with our, our representatives, uh, assemblymen, Assembly persons, uh, etc., throughout the years. So it's always been a great relationship. Um, in, in regards to that, like the, the I, I bring this up at least once a week. The the state has a what's projected to be a six point six billion dollar budget surplus, uh, and that won't happen until July apparently. And July is about the time in in normal times when the state would put a budget together and start you know, figuring out what to do with that. But uh, we've been sitting on this money since the be- at least the beginning of the year. It was $3 billion. Um, what would you like as a, a superintendent to see the state do with some of that money? Well, certainly as, a, as somebody who advocates for public education, I think there's a strong need uh, for public education to be funded. For the last two years, uh, schools didn't get new state funding, and it has really impacted our budgets now and into the future. And so being able to use some of that money for public education would be be crucial. I also know that the state has a, a lot of issues that they're focused on, whether it's uh, Medicaid or 
roads or any number of needs that our citizens have. But, you know, if you invest early in, in a strong public education, it pays dividends throughout a kid's life and into adulthood and, and alleviates the need to invest in social services later on and, and police forces and prisons. You know, so it's just a wise investment, I think. So what what went on the last two years that the state didn't get? It was just the last budget, and and what needs to change is that is that abnormal? The state didn't get any new. What did you say? New funding? Yeah, no new revenue for schools for two years. Um, that is unprecedented. Um, you know, in the first biennium that um, Governor Walker had, they, there was actually a cut to schools, but in the second year there was some funding. Uh, and so this is, is really um, devastating in the midst of a pandemic to, to rely only on one-time funds from the federal government to get through funds that were intended to help kids make up the loss from learning. Uh, you know, so we're hopeful that the, the state corrects the course over the, the next biennium so that schools have the funds we need to be able to educate kids, to provide the, the teachers that they need, uh, and to maintain our facilities. Is, would would the state's argument or the state legislature's argument here be the federal government sent money schools way and therefore you were able to get by and therefore the state would save money or I mean there there must there there has to be a talking point in the state legislature to to be able to defend that right I think that's the basic argument the feds gave schools money so we don't need to but the the problem is it's compounding. You know, if we don't get an increase in our revenue limit for two years, we we have to make up that difference down the road. And if we don't, that is fewer and fewer dollars for, for public education, for kids uh, to be able to learn. And that means fewer resources, fewer supports, and it's really starting to impact us in, in our school district. Does that also affect what the dilemma we had a couple, well, a couple months ago now, I believe, where teachers, okay, last I think I think it was last year, teachers didn't get raises, and then this year they wanted about a four point seven percent raise and only got a two percent raise. Um, it, it, does all that correlate? Is that what the state's doing affect the the ability for teachers to get a bigger raise because they didn't get one two years ago? Absolutely, there's a direct correlation there. Um, you know, if 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 we get new revenue from the state, we can use that to attract and retain teachers, to invest in programs that help kids. But when the state gives us nothing and we have declining enrollment, you know, we lost last year, I think, $1.9 million in revenue through declining enrollment. So we had less money this year than we did last year. At the same time, we want to be able to, to, to attract and retain teachers, give them a reasonable raise. Uh, and we couldn't get to that 4.7% because, uh, you know, the, the, the deficit that we had going into the year would have meant significant cuts to, to programs and reductions of teachers. And, and that wasn't what was best for kids this last year. Uh, and so we ended up, the school board ended up passing a budget that had a, a $2 million deficit. Now, they were able to cover that with one-time funds from the, the fund balance, but we still have to, to grapple with that as we move forward. Uh, we're looking at a $3.6 million deficit for next school year because of continued declining enrollment and that, that structural deficit that really was the result of underfunding by the state. Um, all right, so declining enrollment. We'll get into the referendum here in a bit. Uh, but but along, sticking with the, the teachers, the not getting a raise, uh, this is all kind of like negative – all this news is kind of negative, and it and it probably leads to 
less, I mean, teachers getting out of the profession. I know at least one teacher that, that moved. She's not a teacher anymore. She's, she didn't move. She just, she just quit her teaching job, I think, in the middle of the year. You guys saw this a lot, right? Did you see a lot of teachers kind of quit mid, mid-season, I guess you could call it? I wouldn't say um, a lot necessarily, but certainly more than we have seen in the past. Our uh, attrition rate is about the same that it has been for the last four or five years. Um, but it's getting harder and harder to, to attract teachers to, to education in large part because of that kind of negative atmosphere. Um, teaching is a, a fantastic profession. It has good wages, great benefits, a great working environment, something that's really meaningful and, and I think brings joy every single day. But with a lot of this other discourse, it makes it, it uh, less attractive for some folks, I think. And so we're seeing fewer people enter into the education profession. And uh, it's impacting, um, you know, our teaching pools and who we're able to attract. Where where do you see this shortage? The the the, the where where are you hardest hit by a teacher shortage? Yeah, it's primarily in kind of specialty types of roles. Uh, you know, we, we we find enough elementary teachers, find enough middle school teachers, and generally speaking, but it's in in special education. It's in. Uh, science fields, it's in uh, tech ed and business, um, those sorts of areas where there's also, you know, lucrative jobs in the private sector or um, there are jobs that, you know, require extra skill, patience, and uh, attention. And uh, we're finding that we have fewer applicants for, for those positions or even can't find anybody sometimes. All right. I just want to transi- transition here real quick for the break. Um the, the the idea, the whole concept of school is to prepare kids for the rest of their lives, to get a job, find some, a profession they like. Um, you guys at the school district are kind of reeling that in a little bit. Instead of going to college or getting graduating high school and then figuring that out, you're starting to develop that a lot earlier. I would say I didn't. Uh, me, professional basketball player, was probably uh, you know the closest thing I had to what I want to be when I grow up. Uh, maybe football player there for a while, but can you talk about how you're you're kind of shaping kids and and getting them that experience before they graduate? Yeah, we want kids to be prepared for any path that they choose to take after high school, college, tech ed, or um, technical college, uh, military, workforce. But one of the the ways we want to be able to prepare kids is by giving them on-the-job experience in a, in a job that they're interested in, but with supervision from school and support to make that uh, a great learning opportunity. And so we've got a program uh, through our career and tech ed department called Youth Apprenticeship that allows kids to, to take an hour or two of the, the school day or, or after school, depending on their schedule, uh, work in a business, get school credit, get uh, a certificate from the state, and get a really great experience in a local business. It works great for our businesses to get additional help that they, they need so much. to, And then they get to develop maybe a future employee. And, and perhaps it's right out of high school. They got a great job working at Dahl Ford. But maybe it's a, a situation where they go work at Quick Trip in their engineering department in high school. They go off to college. They get a degree. And now they've got this fantastic connection to a, a job right here in our community. They come back. And they take a, a, a job that requires a four-year degree at Quick Trip, uh, and so it's a great way to to open up kids' eyes to great jobs here in our community, to create connections between businesses and the schools, and give kids an opportunity to explore careers. 
sometimes they take that job and they find out, I don't want to do that. And that's just as valuable as finding out I do want to do that. Well, that was that was my next question. Is is it a class? Is it sort of like, a, like uh, you know, last period of the day, I'm going to go do this apprenticeship? Or do they typically do this after school? Could be after school. Could be last period of the day. Could be the first period of the day. Uh, we've got a student, a couple students that are at bakeries. So they get up early in the morning. They go in. They make these fantastic creations, uh, baking for local bakeries, and, uh, you know, they're able to explore their interests and their passions, and, and maybe it's something they want to do forever. Maybe it's something that they just want to do now. Um, I had a student uh, a couple years ago that uh, started off as a junior in a youth apprenticeship as, a, as an electrician. They didn't love that. Uh, so the second year, they did, a, as a senior, they did a youth apprenticeship as a plumber, found out they didn't love that. They ended up getting their um, uh, CDL and working for, I think, Matthew, moving trucks and, and, and working with heavy equipment. And they found the job that they loved. They had just gone to the workforce without having those opportunities. They would have ended up, you know, in a career that they either didn't like or that wasn't suited to them. And so I think it's a great opportunity for kids to explore their interests. To, to get on-the-job training and to get a really valuable experience while in school. What what happens when, uh, like, especially if it's part of a, a quarter or a semester class, I don't like being a plumber. I don't want to do this anymore. Do they get to come back to school, or do they have to stick it out? Um, when students sign up for youth apprenticeships, we do ask. It's a commitment. And so, you know, it's a commitment to the school. It's a commitment to their employer. Uh, you know, there are circumstances, you know, where we can, we, we allow kids to move on to something else, but, uh, you know, this is a serious obligation and, and we're committed to it for that semester that year. Yeah. Cause I could see, uh, kids being indecisive about that and then not being fully in it. If they don't want to do it, Hey, I'm never going to do this again in my life. I don't want to do it anymore. And if you're getting, I don't know if you're getting graded on it or not, but then I could see your grade slipping too, if you are. Yeah. The, the grading of it is not, you know, uh, overly uh, challenging. It's more about work habits and being a good worker and meeting your obligations. Um, but, you know, when we're talking to kids about what they want to explore, there's a lot of prep work that goes into it. It's not as easy as just walking into the office and then going off to your job. Yeah. We really prepare kids well. We require them to have certain coursework before they even get to this point, uh, which helps kind of focus their interest. Uh, it's a it's a comprehensive process. It's a really high quality work experience. It's open to any kid in our school. Something really neat that public schools are able to offer kids. Yeah, and there's there's a part of that where you, you hey you committed to this, stick it out, and you learn something from that as a kid as well. Um, all right, when we come back, we're going to talk about uh, where the lacrosse school district goes now that the hundred ninety four point seven million dollar referendum uh, didn't pass in uh, the election earlier this month. All right, welcome back to Lacrosse Talk PM. 608-785-7914 is the talk and text line. I got a couple of texters. Lacrosse School Superintendent Dr. Aaron Engel is on with me. Is it Colonel Engel? Should I be calling you Colonel Engel instead? <laughs> Aaron's fine. Aaron, yeah. I mean, I do it. I say Engel. I don't know. I don't know why I do Engel, but that's that's what I end up doing for some reason. Um, all right, the the. <laughs> The uh, the big question this month was uh, will for the community was uh, to accept or deny building a new high school on the south side. Hundred ninety four point seven million dollar plan. It was the largest in the state, and we saw 
Uh, I want to. I can't remember the total figure, but referendums across the state, which to me was like a red flag. Like, hey, if every school district is asking voters for more money, and we're sitting on six point six billion dollars, maybe we should maybe we should balance those out. But where where does the school district go now with the now that we know that we're not going to be building? Well, at this point, not going to be building a new high school on that train building site. Yeah, uh, uh, the disappointing to, to see the, the referendum uh, go down, but uh, you know, our community clearly spoke on that that issue, uh, and so you know our, our challenges still remain. You know, we still have declining enrollment. You know, in the '90s, we used to have 8,000 students. This year, we have less than 6,000 students, uh, and we have aging buildings that um, need maintenance or. or uh, a repair or we ought to move out of. And uh, lastly, you know, it leads to pretty significant budget deficits. I already talked about that in the last segment, but, you know, the consolidation of buildings would make us more efficient, allowing us to, to save operational funds down the road. Yeah, the district has, what, 15 buildings and you want about 12, something like that? Yeah, I mean, at this point, uh, our assessment is that consolidation at all levels is necessary to, to balance our budget as we move forward to be able to work within our means with uh, where state funding has been. You know, if there's significant changes to, to state funding, maybe we'd be able to operate more. But, you know, even then, there's um, educational opportunities that we're missing out on when we don't have enough students in, in our buildings. And so uh, we want to be able to provide uh, a high-quality staff that is full-time in our buildings. We want to be able to provide a, a full range of programs and offerings. And uh, right now, with our kids so spread out, it's just not possible to do that. A lot of times we hear that the school district didn't listen. It didn't listen to the community. Um, do, you, do you think that's true? And I, I guess maybe that coincides with how did we get to the question on the ballot was to build a new high school as opposed to something else? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I always want to listen and, uh, and hear what people are saying, and so I certainly take that to heart. Oftentimes, you know, people don't like, you know, what you have to say, and that, that can be a part of it as well. Um, but I, I do think we had a, a long, involved process that gave the community plenty of opportunities to be involved. We had between 10 and 15 focus groups, you know, almost two years ago now to getting a sense for what options our community was interested in with their facilities. And what arose from that was really the, the idea of one high school as a way to improve our middle school buildings. That, that came out of uh, our community's voice. Uh, and we wanted to explore that further. We knew that those focus groups weren't enough, and so we put out surveys to the entire community, uh, first to get a, a general sense of where there was support for uh, right-sizing our school district to our population, and then specifically on the, the issue of one high school. And it was a very simple survey with one question. You know, could you support $194.7 million high school at the train location? And that came back with strong support, too. And so I, I felt like we were listening to the community. Uh, they were pointing us uh, in this direction. But I think when the, the rubber met the road, you know, uh, as, the, as the community went to information sessions and learned more, they ended up um, not liking that idea as much as they did on the survey. And so uh, I think the ultimate listening to the community is a referendum. It's direct democracy. I think it's an awesome opportunity for 
the community to get out and vote. So I, I know that this community strongly supports public education, but uh, this idea wasn't the one for right now. All right, you must have had a, a plan B or a plan C or, or multiple plans. I, is, I don't know how referendums work, what, what the rules are, if it can only be a yes, no. Was there any talk of maybe putting multiple choice on the referendum where it'd be build a new high school or whatever your plan B or C was? Yeah, no multiple choice options for elections. Uh, you know, curious to see how that would work. But, um, you know, we have a, a long range facility plan uh, that gives us direction. Uh, and so we're reassessing uh, what to do next and talking with the school board and with the community and with our staff uh, to identify next steps as we move forward. Uh, we've got a little bit of time here to, to evaluate and assess. Uh, and then uh, come you know this next school year or this next year uh, in January, we'll start to uh, make some decisions about where to head. Yeah, I think part of the part of the idea of putting a referendum question on this ballot was we're, you're getting ahead of this, right? Right. This was a something that would have happened like four or five years down the road. So there is a little bit of wiggle room here to to kind of come up with Plan B or C, right? Yeah, uh, we've got a little bit of time, but you know, there's also a financial imperative to, to do stuff now. Uh, we've got a $3.6 million budget deficit that we have to close for next school year. Uh, and if we can't do it through efficiencies, then it's going to affect programs and staffing. And, and we know that more than ever right now, uh, our kids need opportunities to be engaged, to explore their career interests. And our, our teachers need uh, the right staffing available in order to meet all of our kids' needs. The, the pandemic really had an impact on students' mental health, had an impact on, on behaviors and, and the supports in our community. And so we need all hands on deck right now. And we don't want to have to, to eliminate those things that are helping kids most. We're speaking with Lacrosse School Superintendent Dr. Aaron Engel. Um, all right, so... When 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 would the community find out what the plan B is? I know you floated a letter out a, a while ago that the the next step, if if it's not the referendum, this is before the vote. If the referendum doesn't pass, that Central High School would become the high school and Logan would become a middle school. I believe that was kind of the gist of it. Um, is that still in the works? Is there other options? Um. We're exploring a whole range of options. You know, the, the, the one high school concept is tabled for now. That would have to happen sometime in the future if there's a will for it. Um, you know, we're going to switch to looking at middle schools and elementary schools. You know, we've had declining enrollment in those areas as well. But um, evaluating the, the whole range of options that are out there and thinking about um, how to best serve our students in the facilities that we do have. So when you say the one high school concepts tabled, the 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 concept was to build a new high school. Um, is it is the is it also tabled that Logan and Central would not become one high school? So Logan and, and Central will remain high schools. Is that is that what you're saying? Yeah, for the time being. You know, down the road though, we know our enrollment continues to decline at the high school. You know, in four years, the the high school enrollment will be right around 1,600 students. That is also the capacity at Central High School as it stands right now. You know, so there's, there's some options there in the future if that's uh, where we need to head. Uh, we want to be able to provide the best possible education for our students, the, the programs they need, the courses that they need. 
And when we are split across multiple campuses, we're losing opportunities to provide things to our students. Uh, and so that's something that we're going to continue to balance. There's no, there's not an option. Let's say you had a, a specialty class at Logan. There's not an option to like bus central students over to get to get to that class. It's just not feasible, or what? No, there are, and we offer that. And especially with distance learning and, and the internet, like we're able to pipe kids in directly too. But kids don't choose those classes. Uh, they want to be with their friends in their building. They want to walk down the hall and sit face to face. It's something that we learned from the pandemic. And when it involves travel across, um, you know, to another building at Western, at uh, Logan, at Central, if it involves getting online, our kids have less of an interest in participating in those types of classes. And so they just don't end up taking them. And so while it's a great idea and concept, it doesn't actually play out in practice. I feel like kids would revel in the opportunity to leave school to go somewhere else to take a class. I just thinking back to when I was in high, Oh, I get to go. I get to waste some time driving over or, or getting bussed over to, to Western. And then I'll take a class there. And I, then I come back. It's all, I don't know. It seems like a little mini vacation during the day. That's not the case. Yeah, that huh? may be true for some students, but uh, contrary to a lot of popular belief, I, I think, our kids are focused on why they're there, and they want to take classes with their friends. They want to uh, get the classes that they want. They don't want to miss out on experiences, uh, you know. And so, there are plenty of kids that like those options uh, to, to leave school and go do something else. But you know, a lot of our kids just want to be there at school and do their thing, and after school, go be involved in their club or their sport or hang out with their friends. So, uh, you know, that prospect of, of travel and losing time and you know because of that travel you might not be able to take another class that you want to take uh, so it impacts kids uh in more ways than just uh, access to that one particular class um the, the original plan uh to buy the south side train headquarters uh for i, I think it was uh, i don't know do you, what was the price tag for that building itself and then i i understand that the school district put like three hundred thousand dollars it's called earnest money. You told me in the break, earnest money down. Do do you know what happens to that money? Does the district lose that money? And what was the the, the cost of the building in total? Do you do you know? Yeah, we had a purchase price established of seven million dollars, uh, which um, you know, and then there was three hundred thousand dollars of earnest put down money put down a standard um, uh, real estate practice. You know, if they're going to hold the building for gosh, it's almost nine months, you know, obviously they have lost revenue, lost opportunities. It's only reasonable that, you know, we put down some money <clears throat> to, to ask them to hold it for us until that time. Um, and it, it didn't come out of our operational funds. We have funds that have been set aside for facilities and capital improvements that come from previous sale of property. So it didn't impact our ability to educate kids in any way. When when do you when, when, go, looking forward when when and how does the process to come up with a new plan begin? Will you go back to the community? Does it start in this on Mondays with the school board meetings, or where does this where does this process begin? Or is maybe it's already begun, but where is it taking place? Yeah, so we spent four months listening very heavily to our community at informational sessions, through emails, uh, through all sorts of communication. And so we have lots of new, good information to, to reflect on. 
Uh, and we've got groups of teachers uh, that are getting together with administrators to, to think about what uh, consolidation would look like if it happens. You know, uh, some of these ideas you have to start to explore early if, if they're going to happen, you know. And so <clears throat> we're starting those first steps of exploring what some of this could look like uh, so that, you know, when the school board takes it up in the future, we've got good information to provide them to make good decisions. Does does this whole process with with uh, you, you're talking about declining enrollment and uh, you know the school is funded like almost literally through enrollment right I know there's other the other ways that the school is funded but if the state isn't adding funds then then that's that's a problem but um, this is this is all kind of takes a hit on the lacrosse school district and and do you, do you see that um, do you see that coming to fruition in the next couple of years, like more kids leaving just based on, oh, there's not going to be a new high school. We don't know what the high school situation or the school situation is going to look going forward. It's it's all kind of negative PR. It's not going to be great for the school district. And then you might lose more students that way. Yeah, potentially. Uh, I think regardless of the, the facilities that we have, um, we have amazing teachers, amazing programs, amazing opportunities. I think about the youth apprenticeship opportunities that we offer, our health science academy, our engineering academy, our construction academy. You know, we've got just incredible opportunities uh, for students and incredible support, you know, through our community schools at Northside and Hamilton, through the amazing choices and charter we offer, things like, uh, you know, School of Technology and Arts and Cooley Montessori. And so I see people choosing lacrosse continually, um, you know, and our declining enrollment really has very little to do with um, anything that, that's going on uh, other than birth rates. People are just having fewer kids than they used to. Uh, and it's clear when we look at the difference between our, our senior classes and our, <clears throat> our kindergarten classes, there's just fewer kids being born. And every study that we've looked at, Every outside assessment of our, our school district that we've commissioned or has been provided all points to, to changing birth rates because uh, we still offer a, a world-class education. All right. I just had 30 seconds, but is there a timeline when we can start to hear news about what, what happens next with the, you know, the, the consolidation process? Do you have a timeline there? Yeah, I think uh, as we move forward into next year, uh, you know, as we move through, um, uh, into January, February, March, you know, we'll start to learn more. You know, this next biennium uh, that the state legislature passes will have a, a big impact on our future. All right, that's Lacrosse School Superintendent Dr. Aaron Angle. Thanks, Aaron. Thank you. Have a great day. All right, we got to take one more break. We'll be back. All right, that's going to wrap it up for Lacrosse Talk PM today on.